Hi, I'm Paul Scharr from the Center for New American Security. Welcome to our latest uh, podcast on drone proliferation. I'm joined today by my colleague, Alexandra Sander from CNAS and Rachel Stoll from the Stimson Center. Uh, Rachel, Alex, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. So today we're going to talk about drones for, or I'm sorry, norms for drones as they're proliferating, um, standards of behavior for use and how perceptions about what's acceptable and unacceptable use is evolving internationally. So, Rachel, I wanted to start with you. How do you see these norms or expectations about appropriate behavior evolving as drones are proliferating and various actors are using them? Sure. Um, well, I think the issue is, is that there are lots of frameworks or types of international law that cover the use of drones, just like they cover other kinds of weapon systems, um, international legal frameworks related to uh, human rights law or humanitarian law or the law of armed conflict. I think that what we've seen with drones is that they're really developing on more of an ad hoc basis based on the use of by the United States. And so you're seeing sort of a body of norms develop that's not really based on any necessarily any international standard, but really on the use that the United States is undertaking in theaters around the world, whether they're inside or outside the hot battlefield. How is that uh, U.S. use shaping then people's perceptions internationally? Well, I think the, the issue with the U.S. use is that a lot of the use has been done in secret. Um, it has not been done very transparently. And so we don't know, for example, um, the, the processes by which drone strikes are being um, decided, what targets are acceptable. And so we're seeing the USA, you know, trust us. We, we know what we're doing. We have intelligence that's leading us uh, in a certain direction. And what happens then is other countries say, oh, well, we don't have to be very transparent in our use of, of this technology. And so you're seeing this norm develop where you're not necessarily following the international legal frameworks that exist because of national security reasons. And so we, we have to sort of get back to you know the grounding of, of what the standards are that are in place that govern the use of this technology. I think the other issue you're seeing, especially with U.S. use dominating the conversation about norms, is that the context really is counterterrorism operations. You haven't seen the use expand into other types of conflicts. So you're going to miss a whole range of other use cases for drones as they continue to proliferate if we let that continue uh, to be the guiding behavior. Yeah, and I think the other issue is that we get caught up in drone use or drone expert drone proliferation equals targeted killings. Right. And I think that that's not necessarily the equation. Um, I think there are other aspects to drone use and drone exports that are outside of the targeted killing framework. And so, again, we get caught up in sort of one aspect and one legal framework and not really looking at the, the issue across the board. So, you know, one of the dynamics here is that maybe seven or eight years ago, it was probably in U.S. interest when the U.S. was using drones abroad and others were not to maybe not be very transparent. And now as they're proliferating and others are following the U.S. lead maybe in ways that we would not like, um, that dynamic is changing. How have we seen U.S. policymakers respond over the last several years? Well, you, I think you've seen U.S. policymakers respond by um, at the sort of bureaucratic level to trying to develop sort of guidelines and principles and policies that um, – sort of frame U.S. export use or export policy, U.S. use policy. But you're seeing other countries also try and figure out what the U.S. is doing and develop their own. So France, for example, which doesn't have their own policy, is looking to the U.S., um, has come to the U.S. and said, what are you doing? Meeting with Congress, meeting with um, the administration. What are you trying to do so they can develop their own policy? So you're seeing the 
the impact of the U.S. lack of policy or the lack of transparency in their policy sort of reflecting um, across other countries as well. You, you also sort of have an abdication, I think, of the role of Congress here. Congress has an oversight role. Congress has a regulatory role, but has very much left this issue to the administration um, to determine, you know, whether it's the bureaucratic process for making decisions about who's on the kill list to, you know, who is governing um, or who has the responsibility for strikes. Is it the CIA or, or the DOD? Um, you're seeing a lot of, of abdication of the role of Congress to um, oversee drone strikes and their operation and the policies around them. Yeah, and the other response uh, to the transparency question is uh, the new policy requiring the Director of National Intelligence to report on U.S. drone strikes outside of areas of uh, hostilities. But within that document, you're still only getting a range in terms of how many strikes and a range in terms of the estimated casualties. You're still not getting any information on necessarily where they're occurring or any further breakdown. Uh, so I think there's an effort to respond to criticisms on transparency, but we're still figuring it out. And I think that has impacts internationally because right. we've seen, for example, the UK was far more open about their use of unmanned systems in strikes in Syria and Iraq. And now seeing that the US has pulled back a little bit, they're becoming less transparent. So there's sort of a, a continuum effect here that if the US is less transparent, other countries will also be less transparent down the road. You know, in some ways, it seems a little bit surprising that we haven't yet seen uh, more countries use drones the same way the United States does in terms of extraterritorial strikes against non-state groups that they're not happy with. Um, we've seen some of that within states' own territories, them using armed drones in that fashion, but not necessarily outside others. Do you see that coming down the road, and, and how should the U.S. be thinking about that and how to respond to that inevitably? I do see that increasing down the road. I think right now uh, there's hesitancy on what the response might be from other countries if someone is incurring into their territory to conduct an armed drone strike. Uh, I think part of that is due to the lack of U.S. transparency about the legitimacy of counterterrorism strikes. So there's a hesitancy on the international scene about whether or not this is actually a legitimate use uh, in terms of you know, what is the escalation response going to be? So far, if you're operating a surveillance drone in somebody else's territory and it gets shot down, that hasn't led to escalation. But if we see more strikes, then I'm not sure what the context will be. I mean, sovereignty is still a fundamental principle of sort of the international order. And I think most countries are hesitant to sort of betray that, that concept. And so flying a, a, a drone, even for surveillance, across an international border without the permission of the foreign government still is a provocative um, initiative. And so I think you do see other countries a little more um, concerned about breaking that that sort of norm. Um, but I do think that the time is coming when, when you'll see that at a greater extent as countries are, are more willing to sort of lower the barriers of entry into conflict to take that extra risk because you're not putting human lives on the line and see what happens. Right. And I think that, you know, we're going to have to, as an international community, deal with, with that reality, whether it's from states or non-states um, crossing borders. Yeah, I think this will especially develop for countries who are buying drones in lieu of manned aircraft. Uh, they're going to be using them as replacements. So we should expect them to use them in the same way that you might see them use a manned aircraft. 
I mean, I think the U.S., to be fair, the U.S. is in a unique position in that we are engaged in conflicts around the world for counterterrorism operation, right. um, et cetera, although that's expanding in terms of the use. Um, but we're, but other countries don't have sort of the footprint that we have. Well, it's not really a footprint, I guess. <laughs> but they don't have the footprint that we have um, around the world. And so there's less opportunity for other countries to use them in ways similar to the United States. But as you say, I think it's only going to grow mm-hmm. as, as they replace their man systems with these kinds of systems. And how does that, I mean, how do you perceive if we start to see states using drones um, for those kinds of strikes, that that might affect legitimacy for U.S. action? So if we had the French using armed drones in Mali to go after terrorists, or the UK using them in Libya to conduct a strike, or China using them in Burma to go after narcotics traffickers. How does that affect perceived legitimacy for U.S. actions positively or negatively? I'm not sure how legitimate the U.S. actions are seen at the moment, to be honest. I mean, I think there are a lot of questions. I don't think there's a forum to bring those up at the moment. I think that countries are still sort of wary of calling out the U.S. for their use of of lethal strikes in areas outside hot battlefields because, you know, there's a sort of understanding that that's helping fight terrorism, which is a norm or a value that they, <laughs> that they agree with. So there has been a hesitancy to sort of question the U.S. legitimacy sort of publicly. But behind closed doors, you do get a lot of, you know, I don't know if this fits with sort of the law of international armed conflict. I don't know if this works with international humanitarian law, discrimination, proportionality, all of those issues that international lawyers like to talk about. Um, so I do think that you know, there is the likelihood that these conversations are going to have to come to the fore. The U.S. has sort of said, trust us, if you knew what we knew, it, it, you, know, you would do the same thing. But that sort of justification isn't going to fly if you know, Russia flies a drone into London because there's someone that they see as a particular threat to their sovereignty or national security and they take out that particular target. That's going to be seen um, very suspiciously and have a reaction from the rest of the world. Right. It totally depends on your use case. I mean, if, if you're talking about French conducting counterterrorism operations, that's probably not going to negatively impact the legitimacy of U.S. actions. But if you have China using it to target populations outside of their borders, uh, you know, that could be perceived completely differently. Are there some actions like, you know, if the French or the UK were going after terrorists also doing similar kinds of drone strikes and that actually would would normalize some US actions against counter-terrorists and sort of make it seem more legitimate? Is there, is there a dynamic there that, that makes sense? <coughs> I think you could see it have a legitimacy increasing effect, um, but it's going to depend on, you know, what the collateral damage is. If another country conducts an attack and you are immediately seeing reports of civilian casualties, then there could be a negative impact. I mean, and how, do, how do you as policymakers respond if, you know, at some point in time in the future, say, Russia is conducting drone strikes in the Caucasus or China in Southeast Asia and U.S. does not like that, now all of a sudden the shoe's on the other foot, how can the U.S. really criticize those actions? Right. This is where our lack of transparency really undermines us in the future. And, and the development, I think, of sort of what those international norms should be in right. terms of use. 
So without sort of a basic understanding, getting everyone on the same page, you just have a culture of impunity where, you know, you can say, look, this was in our national security interest. This was a counterterrorism objective, whatever your rationale is. And there's not much that the rest of the world can do. And so that's why I think as the, the use uh, increases and the potential sort of scope of use um, increases, I think there is going to be a need to figure out what is that baseline? What are we willing to accept as an international community and what is is not acceptable? So, uh, you know, Alex, you and I started this project two years ago on drone proliferation to sort of map some of these things out to try to get ahead of some of these challenges. And the fascinating thing about working in this area is the technology, the policy, the use is moving so rapidly that in some ways, um, governments that tend to be slow and reactive have been even ahead of um, a lot of our attempts to kind of respond and deal with this. So when we started out, we had very little policy in the U.S. government to try mm -hmm. to address these things. And we've seen a number of things happen. I wonder if maybe you can kind of just walk through the changes that we've seen in terms of government policy, in terms of the export policy, and then the, the joint declaration. Sure. So we've seen the U.S. export policy come out, and what that's doing is linking U.S. exports to principles of use, but also reaffirming the application of international law to drone use. And in terms of exports, highlighting the relevancy of the missile technology control regime. But that brings in your point about applying technological standards to an area of development that's changing rapidly. If you look at the MTCR, that's something that came out in the 80s, and we're applying it to a technology uh, that really is still in its initial stages in terms of where drones are going to go, where robotics are going to go, what's happening next in autonomy. Um, so it's really just a first step. I think the joint declaration was the next step taking that to the international level. Uh, it may not have been as explicit as our export policy was in terms of identifying principles for use, but I believe the intent when we promulgated that policy was to use that as a stepping off point for future conversations on the international stage about what drone, uh, drone norms should look like. Yeah, and I would add that in 2014, there was the first um, rewrite of the U.S. conventional arms transfer policy in 19 years. And that technically also covers unmanned systems. I think the 2015 um, export policy sort of elaborated or enumerated sort of the, the extra controls or the extra safeguards um, for drones. But you can sort of start to see a thought process by the U.S. government on we do need to update our sort of regulations and export approach to these um, this, this, these systems, but then also the principles for proper use that are included in the 2015 export policy sort of elaborate that. And I think that's an interesting development is this, and, and the Joint Declaration does it as well, is this linkage between exports or the non-proliferation aspect of the technology as well as the use. And that's really, that's unique. It's new. It's hard mm -hmm. for governments to wrap their heads around from a bureaucratic um, perspective, but also for how do you implement something that is looking at sort of these international legal frameworks in terms of how something is used and the actual non-proliferation or proliferation issues related to where that technology is spreading. That's a really interesting development. And it'll be, um, I think, difficult for, th for that to sort of expand internationally, mm -hmm. but I think it's an important expansion. I think one of the major hurdles we're going to face is in the past, when you're talking about non-proliferation uh, efforts and dealing with exports, you're usually including in your policy very specific uh, 
technical specifications. And that's going to be really hard looking at drones, first of all, that vary widely from what a commercial system looks like to what a sophisticated military system looks like. And then also understanding that autonomy uh, is really about software. So if you're thinking about a drone airframe being enabled by software, which is what gives it its autonomy, how do you translate that into policy points? Well, I think it's always hard to regulate from behind. So the technology is out there. It's adapting. If mm -hmm. you try and sort of, okay, we're going to regulate this, and you draw these very technical specifications around what you're, then it's very easy for to develop something that, you know, and this is what we've seen in the MTCR, that goes just a few kilometers right. less or carries a few, you know, pounds more or less, depending right. on what the regulation is. So I think it's easy to sort of develop the technology around an existing regulation. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have the regulation. It just means you have to think about what is it that you're trying to control and why, you know, to what end is it that, you know, because there are lots of good uses for this technology. Unmanned systems can be really helpful. The reason right. that they're attractive, you know, the, the reasons are many, you know, whether it's the loitering and the persistence and the ability to sort of not put human lives um, on the line or to get into areas that are difficult topographically. I mean, there's lots of positive uses, not to mention all the commercial uses um, that we see for this technology. So I think, you know, regulation is good, but to what end? What are you trying right. to control? What are you worried about? And so to think about the controls in that way and not get so hung up on the technical specifications, but is it that you're concerned that they could fall into the hands of non-state actors and be used to target innocent civilians, or could they be used to drop, you know, some kind of weapon on a large population or a small population? You know, what is it that you're concerned? And then develop the regulations or the controls around that. I think that's hard for policymakers, too, because they're very used to, oh, I'm developing an export regulation. It's on this specific specification. And if the yeah. system is in it or outside of it, then I'll control it this way. That's not what we're talking about, I think, anymore. There's lots of regulations that control drone technology, whether it's Vassanar or the MTCR. It's, you know, we're worried about how these weapons could potentially be used and who could do that using. That's what we're interested in. That's where we get in trouble, I think, with just focusing on counterterrorism operations mm -hmm. for so long. And that's why, you know, Paul and I, we hosted that war game back in uh, late 2015, exploring what new operational concepts you might see with drones to sort of, you know, provide a platform for thinking about policy right. uh, outside of that counterterrorism box. And I think other countries are actually thinking more outside the counterterrorism box. I think the U.S. is sort of stuck in that box. But even as we see the expansion into other areas, yes, they have a counterterrorism lens, but I think that's only because that's what's cachet, right? Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's what's needed right now. But they're not necessarily actually for counterterrorism operations. But you, could, mm -hmm. you can use this technology in a lot of ways that are really, really helpful to the U.S. military. Um, but we just tend to focus on this counterterrorism lens, which I think is doing a disservice to the development of norms and also controls and regulations down the road. So let me turn Rachel's question kind of back to both of you. I mean, what should we be concerned about and what role does regulation play in responding to those, those potential concerns? I'm not sure. I mean, part of the problem is that we haven't really seen a new operational concepts yet. And especially when you think about where the technology is going, um, Maybe the next thing we're going to see is swarms of micro drones. 
I have no idea what that's going to look like in terms of new concepts. Uh, but being flexible in our regulations, I think, is going to be key in making space for controlling that type of use. I mean, what's what's the payload on a micro drone? Is that going to be electronic warfare or something else? Yeah, and I think I mean I think if we take it out of the counterterrorism lens, I mean we can see force protection as you know not necessarily in a counterterrorism context as important, right? Getting the intel in advance of boots on the ground, um, it allows you if you're worried about um, or you're trying to get to refugees or IDPs, you know, getting that intel and saying this is where we see this group of people or we can't move these people through this particular pass because it's flooded. So I think there are lots of other military, not necessarily lethal applications sure. that would be really useful. I think the problem, and, and I think most people would be okay with those. And I think we'd be okay with the, the proliferation, even if it's an armed drone in that context, particularly in the force protection context. Um, but I think we think if we need to look at, you know, what are the attributes of this technology that makes them so attractive to not just the U.S., but to other potential end users, and then think about, you know, how could that be used in a way that would undermine sort of the other national interests or um, security interests or foreign policy objectives? What, you know, what is it that we're concerned about? Is it, it you know, the use to target civilians? Is it um, the use to engage in conflict that you wouldn't otherwise engage in? You know, what are those areas that we're concerned about? I think the other issue for me has been, I'm not sure how effective this technology has been for the United States in its counterterrorism operations. We don't have any way to measure the success. We're not sure what the metric is you know, have they mm -hmm. been used in the way that strategically is accomplishing the goals that we set out for them? I don't know. And my understanding is there's not been sort of a, a global look at the effectiveness of or the efficiency of this system as compared to other systems. And so in that case, I think we need to take a step back and say, is this technology doing what we need it to do? Or is it just the fad right now and everybody wants one because they're cool and they allow you to do things that you couldn't do otherwise? But we need to really understand more what their um, what their potential efficacy and efficiencies are and then determine whether or not they've been successful. So, you know, Rachel, you mentioned that there are all these other um, regulations that still apply also to drones. Is there still a need for, and clearly the countries that signed the joint declaration would suggest there is, right, for something unique to uninhabited aircraft, and and why? What's the gap there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the re well, I think there's a couple of things with the joint declaration. I think countries signed on because it was seen as supportive of President Obama and his legacy on drones, uh -huh. and so I think there was sort of a reciprocal, like you know, could you do. Um, a favor and, and sign this and support our efforts. I do think the other piece of that is that we don't, um, okay. um, I think the other piece is that um, we don't know what that joint declaration is or is about. And so countries sort of signed on and we're like, Ooh, I signed on saying I believe in drone in norms for drone use. Yeah, look at, I can check that box. I, you know, shown I'm a responsible end user without having to commit to anything and, and demonstrating, you know, oh, there are standards and we're all supportive of those. But the countries that didn't sign on, which I think are really important um, as well, were those 
that were concerned about the legitimacy that that process was creating for what the United States has done, but also saying, well, now why do we have to do anymore? We've signed on to something. We've shown that we care about this. What's the incentive for doing more? So I think the joint declaration is sort of a, um, is sort of a red herring in that, you know, People can say, well, I've done something already. I don't need to do anything more. But it also demonstrates, well, more is needed. So it's like this weird um, paradigm that you have there. Um, I, th I think the other thing is there are international legal frameworks. But it's very easy looking at the US context um, to say, well, if it doesn't apply to the US, then it may not apply to me as well. And so I can now maybe breach that sovereignty that I wasn't really sure about, or I can maybe take out that potential threat and then get quickly back across the border. Um, I think it's, it's expanding how people are thinking about how they can use drones. So given these political dynamics internationally, where do you see the conversation around the Joint Declaration going? Is that the first step towards something else, or is that um, an off-ramp for, you know, energy about, right. about international regulation for drones? Well, I think the, I mean, it's a huge question. And it's, I think it's even more of, an, of a question now with the election and the presidency of Donald Trump in that, you know, how is the U.S. going to engage with the rest of the world? There se tends to be, although, you know, it changes every day, so I'm not sure, but there tends to be sort of a um, anti-multilateralism approach. And I think with the Joint Declaration, you actually have to have the U.S. engaged. I think it undermines the sort of effort if the U.S. isn't on board and isn't trying to work with its partners and allies. I'm not sure that trying to get the 50-plus countries together to agree initially makes a lot of sense. I think it's going to be really difficult. But I think if you get those countries that are actually exporting and using drones now to sit down and say, okay, what are the standards that we can all live with? What can we work with? And start with the principles for proper use that the United States already has in its policy as a starting point. I'm not saying that's where it ends, but at least not have anything less than the U.S. already has domestically. I think that is, um, that's a positive step. I don't know, though, how the U.S. will engage. I don't know if the U.S. Um, will see this as a priority. This was an Obama legacy issue and there, it's very likely that the or possible i'm not sure it's likely but it's possible that the trump administration will say yeah we're not interested in this we have other priorities yeah it's unclear what their policy is going to be respective to drones uh the only really measurable step you've seen so far is trump re-grant authority to the intelligence community to conduct drone strikes um and i think mike azenko has put out a couple of numbers on this uh, measuring the frequency of drone strikes so far under the Trump administration. Uh, and the comparison point there is that he's authorized an average of a stri uh, strike every day compared to, granted, over a much longer time period, so a bigger N, um, Obama's approval of a strike about every 5.4 days. So you are seeing an uptick in the frequency of strikes. Um, but again, it's unclear to me what the policy is behind this and where the Trump administration intends to uh, take the U.S. going forward. Well, and the other thing I think that we've seen Trump do is expand um, the areas of active hostilities right. and getting permission to inc include new areas. So I do think sort of signs are pointing to a rollback of um, some of the measures that the Obama administration put in place, particularly at the very end, you've seen sort of questions about releasing data on civilian casualties and mm -hmm. rescinding executive order to that effect. Um, 
So I, th I mean, yes, I think there is, we don't really have a complete picture, but all signs are pointing to reversal rollback. And so all of us who are saying we need more controls or more regulations or more norm development, now we're saying, wait, we need to hold the line <laughs> that we had at the end of the Obama administration, which wasn't sufficient, right. but we certainly don't want to go back further. I think, again, looking at the larger picture in norm development, that undermines our efforts to develop global norms. And the U.S. can't go, go alone on this. I mean, maybe 10 years ago the U.S. could go alone, but now the number of actors that control this technology has grown, and there are more people using these in theaters that we never anticipated, and the dangers are too high for the U.S. to say we're out. Yeah, the next couple of years are the sweet spot for us to continue to shape proliferation, and I think uh, time will be up shortly as more people start using uh, drones internationally for the U.S. to continue shaping so if you assume, maybe for the sake of argument, that the Trump administration steps back from this leadership role mm -hmm. um, internationally, is there someone else that steps in to fill the void? Or, or who, who are the key actors that then end up shaping some of these norms and expectations of behavior internationally? I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure that the process would survive without the U.S. I think the U.S. is the largest exporter and user of the technology. Um, if, if you don't have the U.S. on board, there's going to be a why bother aspect for the rest of the, the world, I would think. I mean, you're not going to see China and Russia, who are also in Iran and Israel, sort of, they weren't part of the initial joint declaration. They're not going to suddenly step up and say, oh, we need to put controls on this technology in terms of its ex uh, proliferation and its, and its use. You know, would some of the Europeans that have been thus far supportive, the U.K., the Netherlands, Germany, Sweden, Italy, would they step up? Probably not. I mean, I think they're working on their own domestic um, policies. And you have very much an anti-drone tenor in the populations in those countries. And so I don't think they would want to engage in something that um, really doesn't help them sort of domestically or help them sort of as a continent. So I, I question what would happen without the United States. I think it will set the process back for global norm development. doesn't mean the U.S. has to be an act, doesn't have to be the leader. But I think if you don't have the U.S. at the table and people are saying whatever we do won't have an impact because the U.S. can undermine either the export policy or the use policy, um, I think it just won't go anywhere. Yeah. If the U.S. steps away from the table, I think things will just continue to develop in a really ad hoc manner. Uh, and when you see other proliferators of this technology uh, start selling more and more systems on the international market, um, that's going to change the game. The U.S. use of drones is going to have less weight in terms of shaping norms. Uh, you've already seen China in the past a uh, couple of years really changed the game mm -hmm. in terms of armed drone proliferation. Uh, the U.S. first sold an armed system to the U.K. in 2007, and China, since I want to say starting in 2009, has been the predominant uh, supplier of armed drones to uh, other countries. <coughs> yeah, over 90% of... Um international arm drone transfers come from China. Right. So depending on who they sell to and what their intended use is for those drones, that will have a big impact on the development of future norms. Well, and if you see the U.S. expanding its use in areas outside and inside hot battlefields and you see proliferation increase from the U.S., there's going to be a, you know, I don't have to follow any rules right. at, attitude from countries that are already less willing to conform to international norms. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, certainly more, more drones are coming, and so we'll see how, how things evolve. <laughs> um, thank, you, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thank you.